God's Word is for the present, past, and future. It's a historical book. It's a prophetical book. But it's also a nuggets of truth for here and now. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We're just going to look at the first five verses there in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, I love Galatians because... This is, in fact, they believe that Galatians may be the first New Testament writing chronologically that was pinned down. The, the, the book of Galatians. Even the Gospels were pinned down, they feel like, maybe a little bit later on. Even though chronologically, of course, we know Paul's life did not happen first. Jesus came. Amen? But that they do believe that it may be the first to be pinned down. Don't know if that's exactly true, but we do know this. It is one of Paul's earliest, it is Paul's earliest writing. There's no doubt about that. And uh, what, he was, what he was battling was something that is still clearly evident today, even in the New Testament church, and that is the fact that we are saved by grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That's, that's our only hope. We can't add a mixture of, if you add anything to grace, then you, it's no longer grace. That's what Paul said. It's works. Works can't be grace and grace can't be works. Can I get a hallelujah to that? If you want to tack on baptism, if you want to tack on any other thing, then you are adding to grace. Now, should we be baptized in water? Absolutely. I think it's an act of disobedience not to be baptized. But does my water baptism save me? No more than taking a bath keeps me clean the rest of my life. I take a bath every day. Amen. I know my wife appreciates it. We all need a bath, but we get saved one time, praise God, because it doesn't go from the outside in, it works from the inside out. God cleansed my heart. That's what's been baptized. That's what's been changed, and I've got a new heart. So when Paul wrote this letter, he was, he was battling the Judaizers. Because if you remember correctly, the first century church was made up predominantly of Jews that had given their life to Jesus Christ as, his, as their Messiah. They had recognized it, acknowledged it, and they said, I've got to come to God by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a group within that that still clung to the law. And basically to me what it said was, they just didn't want to give up the thought that they were a little bit superior to the Gentile. You guys come in here and you get all the free goodies and we paid the way for you. It's basically what I believe they were thinking. And so, they just had a hard time struggling with this whole thing of all I've got to do is believe. But that's why God made it so simple. 
a little child can understand it. We can't understand everything about God. We don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know the correct theological terms. But my daughter Rachel got saved when she was eight years old. Did she understand everything about grace, salvation? No, she didn't. But she knew one thing. She knew she was a sinner already. She recognized that. She acknowledged that. And she gave her little heart to Jesus to be cleansed. That simple. And we make it so hard so many times in the church. If you don't look like me, live like me, dress like me, all these other things, and none of that matters. All that matters is that I give my life to Jesus. So we're going to be looking at uh, what I call a beautiful portrait today because uh, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 3, and before we get started and read it, you know, chapters 3 and 4 are some of the most powerful words that were ever penned down by Paul as far as his defense that salvation is by grace alone and not by the works of the law. Those 60 verses, there's 60 verses all together in chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians and they speak volumes and in those 60 verses he makes six different arguments why salvation is through grace alone in the Lord Jesus Christ and not the works of the law. We're, thank God you can say amen to this. We're only going to consider the first argument this morning. We're not going to cover all six, so we're not going to be here past lunch. But the first one is in these first five verses of chapter 3, and it's the personal argument. This is one that every believer must have or, or it's, it's not genuine. Did God save you? I, I'm, 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 I'm hoping so. You have a personal testimony. I have a personal testimony. God did something in my life that I can't explain, fully explain to you and the same you with me. There's just something supernatural about that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that's beyond words, but only you can really know how it feels deep down inside to experience it. So there, there's got to be the personal aspect to salvation. But then Paul offers up another argument in verses 6 through 14. He offers up the spiritual argument. Then he, got, then he goes in verses 15 through 29, he goes to the logical argument. In spite of what the atheists say, the gospel makes sense. Just because the natural man can't put it under his microscope and understand it doesn't mean that it's not logical. The Bible is very logical. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You hear, I didn't call him a fool. God called him a fool. He said, you're a fool if you want to think that this is illogical and doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. Then he goes on, his next argument begins in chapter 4, and that's the historical argument in the first 11 verses. And then he goes to the sentimental argument. 
in verses 12 through 18 of chapter 4. And finally, he goes to the allegorical argument in verses 19 through 21 when he gives us Abraham, the life of Abraham and Sarah, and that they had Isaac and all these things. Isaac's birth is a beautiful picture of grace. Amen? So, long story short, we're only going to look at one. So let's read our text today. Verse 1 of chapter 3 there in Galatians, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth? Or, it says in the ESV, portrayed before you crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray that you would take your word and that it would be near and dear in our hearts that God, we would drink it in, that we would taste of it and see that you're good. Lord God, we must experience the living word for ourselves. We can't get it through another man. We can't get it through another mediator. There is no other mediator. Lord Jesus, you are the mediator between God and man. And Lord God, we come to you, Father, only through your Son, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So God, I just ask your word to do what only it can do. And that, God, you'll be glorified in us this day, I pray in your Son's name, the Holy Jesus. Amen. So, verse 1, um, excuse me, verse 4 is kind of the key to this whole thing about experiencing who God is. Because it says, have you suffered so many things? Or another word would be, have you experienced so many things in vain? He's, what he's saying there is that, that, that suffered there, that means passion. You, you've experienced something for yourself. The death of a loved one, what do you experience? You experience deep sorrow. You feel it in the depths of your soul. You've tasted it. When you got saved, the day you got saved, wasn't it good? Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. My friend Homer Allison puts it this way, Jesus is delicious. Now that sounds kind of funny when you first hear it, Jesus is delicious. Are you a cannibal, Homer? No, he's not a cannibal. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He has experienced the goodness of God in the very depths of his soul and it transformed his life forevermore. See, part of Homer's testimony before God saved him, in fact, the day God saved him, you know what the last act in the flesh that Homer Allison did? 
he took a Glock 9mm and he put it in his mouth. And he was about to pull the trigger and the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of his life and said, don't do it, Homer. I love you. And Homer gave his life to Jesus and he put the pistol down and he went to work for Jesus. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that salvation is by grace through faith and that not of himself, it is a precious gift of God. So verse 4 is the key to the whole thing in this personal experience. But the first thing that we have in our personal experience is in verse 1. We actually get to see God the Son. Because he said, who has bewitched you? And might I add, this is the only time that the English rendition of bewitched is used in all of the New Testament. That's the only time that this word is rendered, that, what, that Greek word, and I can't remember it. I, I, don't, I don't speak Greek. I'm not a Greek student. But that is the only time. In other words, who made a false representation of you, to you, of what the gospel really is? These Judaizers that put up this gospel of a mixture of law and grace, they did this. They made a, <coughs> excuse me, they made a false representation of who Jesus really is. But he said, why did you not obey the truth? And before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been portrayed. That's what the word means. In the old King James it says it's been, he has been evidently set forth. Basically, what Paul was saying was that himself and the other apostles, they had already given them a perfect, beautiful picture, a true picture, a genuine picture of Jesus himself. You and I have never laid physical eyes on our Lord, but I love that old hymn, One of these days our faith will end in sight. We are going to get to see Him. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day. Glorious day that will be. My faith's going to end in sight. I'm going to stand in His presence. First, I'm going to hit my face. And when I get up off my face then I'm going to look in His face and I'm going to get, be able to behold Him forevermore. That's the picture that we want to give to a lost and dying world. We don't want them to see us. We want them to see past us. We want them to see our Savior. And it's high time that the church quit giving a false representation to who he really is. If you don't line up with our list of do's and don'ts, none of your do's and don'ts matter. All that matters is, is I come to him. I exchange all of my junk, my garbage, my sin, my filth, my shame, my guilt. I exchange all of that for his forgiveness, his love, his peace, his mercy, and his goodness. Isn't that a sweet exchange? That's something good that we can have in our life. So 
They saw God the Son, and how did they see Him? Crucified. He took our place. Crucified for our sins, but they also saw Him resurrected. Because you remember, even later on, Paul wasn't there the first go-round, but you know when he saw Jesus, he met Him on the road to Damascus, didn't he? The Lord shone that bright light down on him. It blinded him, but he heard a voice. Why are you persecuting me? You see, God always reveals Himself to you in the person of the resurrected Christ. Thank God I don't pick on my Catholic brothers and sisters. I love them. But I wish they'd take Him down. He's not there anymore. Get Him down. He's been set free. He's not even in the tomb anymore. He is living. So take Him down from the cross. Thank God the cross is said and done. Amen? And the tomb is empty. He has been resurrected, but He did something else for us. He ascended back to the Father on high. And He took the blood. I believe there's a mercy seat in heaven. The Bible says it. Not only is there a mercy seat, was there a mercy seat in the temple in Jerusalem, there's a mercy seat in heaven because everything down here was a shadow of everything up there. And I believe when he arrived in heaven after he ascended back to the Father, he sprinkled that blood on the altar and, and, and the Father said, Have a seat, son. You finished it. You don't have to do it again. It's said, it's done, it's sealed forever. So He ascended back to the Father where He is our great high priest. He ever intercedes for His children. And this is the great part about it. He is coming again one day. And now we can debate and talk about eschatology all day long. I've got my views. You've got yours. You may be a pre-trib or none. Rapture person. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. Wherever it is, whenever it is, Jesus is physically returning to this earth. He's going to sit on His throne and He will rule for all of eternity. That is not debatable. Now you can debate about whether He's coming to get the church before the Great Tribulation. Even if there, You can debate me whether there's going to be a Great Tribulation. Some people deny the whole thing. You have your opinion. You're welcome to it. But there's one thing that you don't have the right to, to debate whether He's coming or not. He's coming. And what we need to do is just be ready. Amen? We need to be prepared as if it might be meeting Him today because we might. And if He doesn't come before I die, I am going to get there through the doorway of death, right? We're all going to stand that way. We've all got that appointment. One out of one that are born die, right? The statistics bear that out. You'll eventually die. So, we're all going to stand before Him, but I want to ask you a question before we move on. Have you seen the Son for yourself? A lot of people have seen church work. A lot of people have seen religion. A lot of people have seen do's and don'ts, a list of things, laws to keep, and all those other things. 
but some people in the church have never really seen the sun for themselves. My partner and I were in Memphis, Tennessee as chaplains last week. We led four, personally, he and I led four people to the Lord. Every one of the people that we led to the Lord at least attended church occasionally. Everyone had a, basically had a church background. But this, is what, this was their testimony when we questioned them on where they were. They hoped so. They were trying to, they were doing their best. They, they tried to be good to people. They, they ran through all this laundry list and then I would just take a simple track that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association gives us with these pretty little, neat little illustrations in them. And I want nothing accusing, no pressure, but I would walk them through the Word of God and let them look at those pictures and then I ask them, which side of this chasm are you on? Are you still over here or are you over here with Jesus? And they would all admit, I, I'm, I'm still over here. And I said, well, do you want to cross over today? And they were all like, yes, today. You see, they gave up religion because they... They saw the sun for the first time in their life and it transformed everything. I remember the day I met him. It transformed my life. I've never been the same. So I want you to be sure, and I believe you have, but have you seen the sun for yourself? But the next thing is, is they received God the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 2, I want, to, this, I want to know this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us that we're lost in the first place, right? Because people that don't really believe they're lost, why would they need to be saved? And a lot of people in America don't know they're lost. I mean, that's the, that's the stone-cold truth. Satan has deceived them into believing that other people's sins are worse than theirs. Like we can compartmentalize sin, right? My son, I, I don't do what he did. He's Hitler compared to me. I'm, I'm doing good. That's the comparison theory that Satan wants to plant in our hearts and minds. We compare ourselves to others instead of comparing ourselves to the standard which is Jesus. And if anybody out there can live a sinless life apart from Jesus, please let me know. I'd love to meet you. We need to have a long conversation. But you can't do it. So the Holy Spirit is the one that brings conviction because he said, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Didn't you receive it by hearing the Word of God? The Word of God, you hear it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But the Holy Spirit also does something else for us. When we do believe, then we are reborn. We're born into the Spirit of God. You and I had to have a new birth. And I got saved at 22. I was a grown man, but I was a spiritual babe in Christ because I was brand new. It was just like my grandson. Spiritually speaking, I was just as dependent 
as, as anybody out there. Now later on, I have matured, thank God. Amen? There's a lot of spiritual babies out there that are 60 and 70 years old in our churches. We need maturity. We need, that's where I've been born. That, and to me, that's the true test of whether I was ever really born again or not, is that am I growing in my faith or do I just, do I just say I have something? Whatever I am, that's what I am, right? If I quack like a duck, swim like a duck, hang around with ducks, everybody's got to assume I'm a duck. But if I'm more at home in the world, and I've never matured in my faith, I wonder, I'm not your judge, but I just wonder about your spiritual birth certificate. Are you really a child of God? Because we all have to be born again, but from there we don't stop, thank God. We're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit places us in the body. He gives us gifts, grace gifts. We have differing gifts, different talents, different abilities, but they all point toward one thing, and that is Jesus, the head of the body. We're all in this thing together. Everybody's not the same. Thank God for that. How boring would life be if everybody was like you or like me? It'd be pretty boring and be pretty limited. See, there are people out there that are much better at doing other things than I am. Does that mean that my value is diminished? Nope. It just means that God has placed each one of us in the body as He so desires. And He's given you everything that you need to be the best you you possibly can be. You're not in competition with me. I'm not in competition with you. We are here for the love of God and nothing else. So we've been baptized into the body, but we need to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit too because we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Scripture says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. We need to be a blessing to the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to be someone that's sensitive to His voice. We need to be listening for the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Lord work in our lives. And you know what? The reason He doesn't speak to some Christians is because they're not really listening like they should. There's so much noise in the world. I hate it when people have those little ear things in their ears and you're you're talking to them and they don't hear a word and you're like, What's wrong with you? How come you're not talking? Oh, oh, I see that. And something's going off in their head all the time. There's so many voices out there. You can't have a conversation with somebody because they're listening to something, they're they're focused on their phone screen, their attention is so drawn away. The Holy Spirit can't speak to me when I'm filled with other things. If I've got the world in my heart, There's no place for Him. I've got to shove all that out and let the Lord take up residence. Does He still love me when I'm all out there and distracted? Absolutely. But you know what's best for me? Is to let all that go and to let Him have my time. He's the one that makes me glad. He's the one 
who takes care of me, provides for my every need. Why would I want to? So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we received God the Holy Spirit. We're born again into the body of Christ. And the last thing is, is we get to experience those miracles themselves from God the Father. It was a gift to us from God the Father. Look at verse 5 again. It says, He, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. You know, the first miracle that took place was in me. And then God can do miracles through me. I can be a conduit of His grace to others. You know, the other night after that war cranked up, I was, th- I was thinking about Luba and, and all the other people in Ukraine that I know. But I, I did think about Luba because from that one experience with her, 25 people gave their life to the Lord in that little village. There was a church born there. And 25 people gave their life to the Lord. And I don't know how many others because I know they multiplied because that little village died. After a while, the older people had passed away and the younger people left, but they took their faith with them. And I just wonder when I get to heaven, how many are going to be there because of the testimony of of one person? The prayers of one woman who prayed and asked God to send a man to show him the way more clearly. And I just happened to have the privilege of being the answer to her prayer. It could have been anybody, but it was me. You're a miracle. If you've been saved by God, you are a living, walking miracle. And my challenge to you is this morning, start living like it. Just let God use you. Don't think about how limited you are. Think about how great your God is. And that there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. And you think about the miracle of grace that took place in your own heart. How much grace did it take to save your soul? Jesus poured out His blood so that we might have be cleansed, might made new. And folks, you don't have to be Adolf Hitler to need a Savior. We're all born with a sin nature. We're all born turning our backs on God and going our own way, making our own decisions. And we all need to give God the glory because He has done a miracle in our lives. God gave the Son. The Son sent the Holy Spirit. And the great God, one God, three personalities, He works in us and through us to do His work for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much that one day the Holy Spirit took the Word of God and painted a perfect picture of Jesus before me. And God, that I said, yes, I surrendered my life 
I haven't walked perfectly. I haven't, I am not sinless, but I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I have been born again. I am different from who I used to be. And that's all because of you. And I thank you, indwelling Holy Spirit, that you not only convicted me and and enabled me to be born again to become a child of God, but you work in me even now, growing me and maturing me and stretching my faith and making sure that it's vibrant and alive and well. And I thank you, Father, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that's all because you loved us enough to send your Son, your only begotten, You so love the world that you sent Jesus down here for us. So God, today I pray that your church, that we would just simply recognize who we are in you. That we would live lives that give you honor and glory. And we praise you, Lord, because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.